Welcome to Transformative Teaching, a FACET at IU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Maroney, the director of FACET, and I am here with Alan Davis. He is a teaching professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese here at IU Bloomington. He is a member of the FACET class of 2022, and he's the director of the Basic Language Studies program in his department. And Alan, how are you doing today? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm doing well, enjoying the summer day, and yeah, just having a good, enjoyable summer, I guess. How about yourself? Oh, it's really nice. Yesterday was just so beautiful. I had I had um, my wife and my and and my daughter and, and her spouse out on the uh, out on Lake Monroe. We rented a boat. We like to do that one time a semester, one time a, a summer, and it was just perfect. It was a perfect day for it. <laughs> really was I yeah. should have done <laughs> well <laughs> next weekend maybe <laughs> there you go <laughs> so Alan um I'm I'm really glad you could join us today and I'm excited to to get to know a little bit more about you as a as a teacher and colleague and and, and new facet member and um I, I was looking at your at your teaching philosophy and I literally didn't even get past the first line where, it, and, and I wanted to ask you a question. Um, I, cause I loved the word sincerity in this. You say the beauty of language education is in its simplicity and its sincerity. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, how did you, why sincerity? What is it about, about language that, that makes you think of sincerity? I would have to say that at its basic you know purpose when you're teaching someone how to speak a language you're just teaching them how to communicate something i think it's easy to think about all the topics that you could use language for for business for work and for your job and for upward mobility and all of those are true but really you're you're able to communicate with someone just how to say how are you i am i do this this is what i do for a living this is my family this is these are my interests so for me when i teach in the basic language program like the first year courses and second year i've always enjoyed the fact that i can at least teach students how to introduce themselves and talk about who they are to another person and also ask someone else about themselves and so what you're really doing is teaching people just how to communicate with each other and you know all of the extras the fact that we can use it for business and for commerce and all of that are wonderful tools for language as well but the fact that i get to teach kids how to just ask about a recipe that they learned from a host mother or ask someone about something that um, music that they thought was interesting um, or an item of clothing um, or anything that just might be of interest so it's nice that despite all of the the things that I do and I'm a linguist so I love the the science of language but it's fun the fact that I really get to teach people just how to say hi how are you and that for yeah. some kids, the fact that they could go abroad and have a conversation that simply with someone is, it, it tickles me. I love that that's what someone really got out of the class. And that's something that you can get from the first and second year courses, um, yeah. which is nice. You know, I, I enjoy teaching upper level courses as well for different reasons. But for me, 
it's that aspect of just the sincerity of teaching someone how to say, hey, how are you? And what do you do? And what do you like? I think that that's really fun. It's so interesting. I, I know you talk about some of um, this like motivation and challenge and, and those kinds of things and in there. And um, as someone who personally, like I, I have that kind of inhibition, it's hard to like overcome that inhibition when I'm learning a language. And you talk about how, how, how you help students do that. And I'm kind of curious to hear a little more about that because as someone who like, if I had to do public speaking when I was an undergrad, I was like, I'm out of that class. <laughs> What do you do? Yeah, and I have to admit, I am the same way. Speech was the last course I took in college. That was my most <laughs> dreaded. I did not like it. When I became a teacher in grad school, that was the thing that I was like really nervous about was having to speak in public. And then it was really, I had to think about it. And I'm like, you know, in the first year classes, we're all in the same boat. Like no one knows how to really introduce themselves and do all of that. So I didn't need to feel so self-conscious about speaking in public because in essence, everyone else I was teaching was in the same boat. They yeah. were all beginning learners, beginning how to speak and me teaching them something that I knew how to do and they didn't, I didn't feel so, I didn't feel inept. I feel yeah. like, oh, I can teach you this. I can teach you how to communicate. And the more I got practice in doing that with my first and second year courses as a grad student, it got easier. And so now I can do it much more freely than I could. And I feel that that's probably what took me out of my comfort zone when it came to speaking was, you know, really realizing everybody in this class is in the same boat which was different from something like a chemistry course or an English course where everyone's a native speaker. So we're all going to be talking about these lofty topics at this level. Yeah. You know, introductory Spanish, these kids are just trying to communicate basically. So I'm at an advantage. So I don't feel as if I couldn't communicate with them. They so so for your students, do you feel like you're like leaning into this fact that you were once kind of you know, whatever inhibited about, about the public speaking aspect. I mean, do you, do you talk to them about that or, or is it just, what, what do you do? I like to tell them about that because I don't think a lot of people would assume that given a lot of the things that I do yeah. um, involved in music and involved in all these other things where I am in the public and I do take that role. Um, I like to talk about it because most people don't think that I would be that shy. And I normally am a shy and aloof person. But I know that when I get in the classroom that I have certain tools that I can operate in that make me feel comfortable. They bring me out of my comfort zone enough that I feel my students are receptive to what I do. But I'm not putting myself out there to the point where I don't feel comfortable. I'm not telling everyone everything, but I feel yeah. like I'm letting people know and honest about, hey, I don't like public speaking either. You know, it's hard. And speaking in public in a second language is even harder. Yeah. Um, and I think being honest about that with people, letting them know that they can make mistakes and I'm not going to judge them. People do that all the time. Um, making mistakes means that you can speak a second language, you know, it means you're making mistakes in a second or third language and to be proud of that. So I feel that that's a great way to kind of help break the ice with my students. Yeah. So what, what, what is a, like a typical class day, like in, in, in your, in your classroom? 
Is there a typical day? Maybe there isn't one. <laughs> it is hard to really think of a typical one because I teach um, different courses in the curriculum. Okay. Um, as the basic language program, I have things that I talk to those AIs, grad students about how to teach their courses. But I also teach a composition and a conversation class where the strategies are a little bit different and how what we would talk about in class where it's more cultural or topical um, as far as kind of fulfilling that conversational role. When I teach phonetics, I'm speaking much more about the science of speaking. But even there, I get to talk about the cultural differences and the dialects that yeah. we um, that we uh, that are included in the Spanish language. When I'm teaching graduate teaching methods, I'm talking about the myriad of ways that we kind of can communicate with our students different skills like reading, speaking, listening, and writing. So I think for me, if I had to say something that I do in all my classes, I really just try to think of what everyone's needs are and what everyone could possibly want to get out of this class because it's different. A, a, comp a composition class, um, certain students may have some things that they're looking for and others have other things. Phonetics is different. And I think really kind of listening to what students are, are asking for and asking about and trying to tailor my classes to make sure that that fits every time is something that I try to do just because it is so diverse in the kind of things that I teach. So, so that that that's really interesting. I mean, because every student's going to come into our classes and they're going to, you know, they're going to think differently about things and 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 have their own kind of agenda, kind of like what you're describing. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way. And uh, um, so, are there techniques that you use to kind of figure out where they are in terms of their motivation and, and just kind of their reason for being in the class and what they want to get out of it? One thing I typically do, and this is true, even though it happens in our basic language courses, I think by by default, because there's a, a, an exercise, I believe that's included as such. My third and fourth year courses, I like to have them do a bit of an introductory. It could be a writing in some courses, for example, when it was phonetics in which we're speaking more, it was actually more of a introduction, like a, a vocal introduction, like an oral introduction about what they like to do, what they're hoping to get out of the class, their um, intentions, their background. Um, and I found that that serves a dual purpose. Not only do I get to understand my students and their own motivations for the, the why, which is helpful because especially when I do it early first, you know, week of class or so, I can kind of modify things as we go. Yeah. So I want to have most of my class prepared, but there are those little moments when you may want to add something different. Sometimes it also acts a bit of, you know, a quality control type of effort as well. And not to, I guess, get into the kind of the, the technical or the negative side perhaps of teaching, but it is nice to kind of know where everyone stands honestly at the beginning of the oh, semester yeah. before anyone's ever imposed what my expectations might be as a teacher. You know, before yeah. you realize my expectations are this, I want to hear you say what you want, what you feel, what you think. Students, if they make mistakes, they're going to be honest mistakes in their speech. If they say or do anything that's like, huh, you know, perhaps now 
that's a grammar point they may need to hear about later. That's a topic I really would want to discuss with them because a lot of people have mentioned it. So I like that activity because it gives me a lot of information, both positive and constructive in terms of the content I can have for my students, but also if there are any red flags, I'll see them in a way that I won't have asked for. <laughs> if I ask about anything, I feel like people will hide answers versus, oh, hey, this is an assignment about this. And then everyone's just gonna tell me whatever. And now I'm like, ah, okay, I see things I need to watch out for and things that are helpful and strategies to use in the future. So yeah, that's that that's great. Um I I, I like how you're kind of gauging both your students' interest, but also kind of where they're at. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, one of the things that I, I read in, in, in your dossier is how you moved from, uh, I think this was in your, in your, maybe your composition and conversation class, where you moved from like using a textbooks, stories, or little essays, to bringing in more kind of like real life news stories. I, I think that's what I got out of that. And, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of curious, e even there, you have to know what's going to trigger your students' interest when you bring those things in, um, unless you're asking them to bring them in. I don't, I don't know how you do that. So what, yeah. what's your strategy there with, with making sure you're bringing in topics that they actually want to talk about? That course, it was interesting because the textbook did an interesting job at saying, here are some interesting topics. However, they didn't carry them out very well. So they had good ideas, but didn't really develop them in a way that actually was useful for a class of young adults. So often it was about thinking just generally about what are these kids talking about? I'd see them before classes and they would talk about their interests. You know, it's a course, the composition courses for third year minors and majors as well. So often it was about Spanish. It was something about the language. It was either about something cultural, something linguistic, something. And I thought, why not just use Spanish? It was easy to find news articles about topics they were interested in, whether they were it was sports, it was music, if it was a cultural activity. And this also includes some social issues. Language and identity also came up. Language discrimination, um, language and sexual discrimination also came up. So there were larger topics that the book also mentioned, but the readings and the questions were very stilted. Yeah. So what it needed was like, okay, great idea for the book, but how can I enhance this with articles that came from newspapers around the world that were topics that were literally sometimes out a couple days before that I was like oh I can use this and I would just bring it into class and a lot of students noticed like oh yeah we, this was just happened and yeah, yeah. it was perfect because there were topics that they were familiar with so if you had language problems if you didn't know every word you could guess because you knew the content yeah. And everyone felt like they could contribute something. It was about a language they were interested in. You know, it went from being like pulling teeth to get them to talk about these topics yeah. to them jumping into every, to everything we were talking about because they knew. 
And that was a simple switch. And again, the book was helpful because it had the idea. It just didn't have the kind of good execution. So that was the extra that was really needed and made that class much different in terms of the interactions that I was having with my students. I have to say, when I, when I listen to you talk, talking about this, that you seem um, really invested in getting to know your students and connecting with your students. And, uh, you know, even, even the, something as simple as you get there early and you talk to them <laughs> ahead of class, you know, not, not, every, not everyone does that. Um, so it sounds like you really enjoy this notion of getting to know your students. And I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you always felt that way, or is that something that you kind of developed um, as you got more experience or kind of, kind of, where does that come from? Um, I, I'd say I always felt that way. Um, my first experience teaching, I guess teaching rather, was when I was a tutor in undergrad. And I realized that, well, and also my own personal experiences as a student where I had teachers who weren't very kind, even though they were very smart. Yeah. And I learned early that, you know, being smart's not enough. And that actually you get so much more when you're smart and kind. And yeah. so when I was a tutor, I was like, you know, I enjoyed teaching the intricacies of grammar and explaining things simply, but I got a lot of students, you know, in my sessions because I was nice. I wasn't yeah. one of those kind of people who uses smart like a personality. It's like, you just are smart. You're also other things too. Right. And so I just was never one of those kind of people who just was smart and like wanted to show it off. It was like, you know, you just take it in stride. You're lucky you're smart. And you even have a greater obligation to be accurate and nice because people are going to listen to you because you're smart and you're nice. So now you really have to be honest and know what you're talking about. So that's kind of, I think when I started was, was back then. And I realized that you have a responsibility to be a good teacher, an honest teacher, because it's like if people are listening to you because they like you, well, then now you really need to be forthcoming and disciplined with what you do. And connecting with students too. It's like if you're connecting with your students like human beings, they're going to respect you in kind. You know, if you're going to like, if you actively act like you don't care about what students are dealing with and things like in their own issues, well, why would you expect them to give you that kind of respect? You know, yeah. really, when you, sense. you know, and, and when you respect each other, the class just works better. You know, when you respect, oh, sure. you know, even letting them know, you know, hey, I'm busy. I do not busy enough that I don't care, but I, I'm involved in this. I do this. I do this in the community and letting them know you're involved and hearing about them being involved, which is another part of that first year, that paragraph of what do you do? It lets everyone know, hey, everyone's busy. Everyone has a life and things to do. And I'm amazed at even how communications are different. You know, my students will ask questions early because they're like, they know you're busy. I ask questions early. I'm checking in. And I think when you respect everybody that way, it just makes the classwork easy. You know, you'll get so much more out of everybody by kind of operating like that. I mean, and so this notion of sincerity that is in the first line of your teaching philosophy is kind of a two-way street because you're going to be completely sincere with your students. Mm -hmm. And this sounds like this comes across really well 
with your students. Uh, I believe so. I, I, I hope that's my biggest hope. And it seems so far to work really well. I don't have some of knock on wood. I don't have some of the problems that some people do, but it's about like respect and like it being yeah. well, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back even, even further. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious um, what drew you to wanting to teach language and and it sounds like you're a linguist uh what what drew you what you drew you to this wow that's interesting uh i would say that was that's probably surprisingly convoluted um i was originally a musician uh, a trained musician up until high school and um just kind of some changes and things in life. Instead of going and studying music, I went on to study languages at IEPY um, instead. And I enjoyed language. I loved music, but I thought that I was in a position to do more. I wanted to be a translator, perhaps work for the government, things of that nature. Um, and so that was why I had made that switch. I, I kept up with music and still do. But I felt that I was, in terms of a career, moving on to something that I thought was a similar enough discipline. It's language, it's language arts, always something I've also been good at, that it was just something um, that I could move to and be successful in, um, Mm -hmm. in in a way that I was pleased with. Originally, I was briefly a chemistry major and was good at, as a B student at chemistry, but I wanted so I went to language and I was like, I'm good at this. And so, you know, that's kind of how that transition started. Officially. So you're an IUPUI grad. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Somewhat doubly so. I actually, when I was young, I studied art. Um, my first college class was in sixth grade. I went to Heron School of Art for <laughs> sixth grade. Yes. So yeah, I've always been an academic, you know, kind of person and yeah, and an IPY attached person as well. So, but yeah, yeah that's kind of what did it was that kind of devotion to school, devotion to the arts and just kind of continuing that on. And I still dabble in the arts today. So it was something that I always kind of felt you can still do those things. So, yeah. So did, was there was there somebody up at IUPUI who sort of was a like a hero in your journey to become a teacher or or to develop your interests? If I I there was I would say it probably happened in, uh, as a grad student when I went to to Penn State as a grad student more okay. because I run I had run into a teacher who had that similar kind of attitude that I did they were he was very intelligent person but kind of kept it close to the vest one of those kind of people who was smart but not always trying to tell you so which in turn made you seek them out because they weren't always trying to be that way and that kind of attitude of as kind and approachable as he was he also took the time to 
um, teach me proper graduate level writing, for example, and those kinds of things. And I had other professors who were very smart, very well written, but didn't take that kind of time to develop me as the future kind of writer or whatever kind of coming up behind them. So he was one of the first people who had that attitude. And unfortunately, in undergrad, I didn't have so many teachers who did that um, as much. But he was one of the first people who had that sort of, I'm a good teacher, but also a good person sort mm -hmm. of approach. And then, you know, when I came to IU, there are people who did the same. Um, the late Professor Geislin was that same kind of person who as smart as she she is and was, she never let you, she never beat you over the head with it. You no. just knew, you know, she was. And that kind of attitude, that kind of graceful intelligence, I just admire in anybody who has that like, yeah, I'm smart, but I do other things too. You know, that kind of- You always knew she cared, I'll tell you yeah. that. Yes, sure. always. She cared. And she was just a regular approachable person. And those are the kinds of people for me who have always been heroes, like the people who are these teachers and they have that intellect, but they're, they don't cloak themselves in it, you know, mm -hmm. so. It's interesting because I, I think that a byproduct of what you're talking about is that the relationship with the student is stronger, which means you know where they really are in terms of how much they've learned, which means that you are more empowered as an instructor to help them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you now have like, there's an investment and it goes both ways. They yeah. don't want to disappoint you and you in turn don't want to disappoint them. And when your whole class acts like that, everything tends to work well. Small groups work well because they're invested in working well to impress you. I want to make sure that I'm giving the best feedback possible so that they can do what their job is. You know, so if there's a if someone's late with something or something, I'm fine with deadlines because usually that just happens. You know what I mean? And I think that is an extension of that kind of respect that something came up, you know what I mean? So we need to readjust. So like I said, having that kind of respect in my, it's never resulted in any kind of inflated grades or any kind of negative anything. Everyone does what they need to do in a reasonable amount of time and the respect is there and the class just works. Even when it doesn't work the best, it still feels like everybody was respected. And then if that's how I feel about the class, then it, it's a success. Even if there were bumps along the way in terms of assessments or grading, but that respect, as long as that's maintained. Yeah, I think that's 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 really interesting. I this. Um... When we think about the idea of rigor, uh, one of the things that we hope happens is that our students work as hard as they can to learn as much as they can. And, and it sounds like you've got a little bit of a secret sauce here um, to, to really keep your students motivated to learn as much as they can, which means you actually can push them harder. <laughs> exactly. Right. Which is really, really cool. That's a great byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. And it's weird because I don't really think about it like I'm doing that, but it does end up working that way. And it, yeah. 
it is it's kind of symbiotic it's like i'm helping you you're helping me and no one feels taken advantage of and it feels like we're here working for us to both get the best out of this class for you and for me and i feel like as long as i'm doing that then that's a successful class you know and if i've got to make a few adjustments in due dates and have to that's not the worst thing i'd rather do that than be stressed about a an arbitrary due date that no one is going to be successful when I could have just gave them some extra time and gotten the results that really are are worth it you know so yeah. sometimes knowing when to compromise and and you know realizing I just because I'm the teacher doesn't mean that I have to everyone has to do what I want now you know sometimes having to let up yeah, I, I, I'm sure that your students really appreciate that. And, and um, I've really enjoyed our, our conversation, Alan. Um, I, I want to ask you one more question here before we wrap up. And um, I'm curious what advice you would give a new instructor uh, so that they can not only can they succeed in, in, their, in their teaching career, but also, also they can help their students as much as possible. I would say, and I know that this is hard to do, but I think learning to practice some vulnerability is helpful. And I think it's understandable that a new professor is not going to want to do that. Um, it's easy to want to kind of maintain control of the class and kind of have that especially as a beginning teacher, because you don't know what you're getting into. But I think it's important to learn when to be vulnerable and to practice doing that bit by bit and not divulging everything that is your problem, but you know, realizing that students are going to have problems, realizing that you yourself are going to also run into problems and knowing and being okay with having to make changes to the syllabus, having to make adjustments so that a student can get an assignment in on time, making an adjustment and giving yourself forgiveness to saying, you know what, I'm having a day and may need to recuperate so that I'm best for my students, right? And I used to never be okay with that and was a stickler. And I felt like I stressed myself out more. Mm -hmm. I stressed my students out more. Um, when in reality, if they turned the assignment in a day late, it didn't really matter. I wasn't gonna grade it as soon as it came in anyway. You know what I mean? It was okay that that was okay. It's okay that certain things happen because even when they do, they maintain the integrity of the class for the most part. So I think giving yourself permission to be vulnerable and not to be perfect as a new instructor is important because I think that's how you burn yourself out is stressing yourself to perfection in everything you do and realizing that one or two things not being perfect isn't going to destroy what you've created in this classroom. So being forgiving of yourself, you know, and you know also thinking about ways to avoid that in the future you can do you can forgive yourself and think and in the future i'm going to do this differently so that i can avoid that you know being like able investing in your own growth uh, exactly. you know, yeah 
That's wonderful. Well, and I, I think that this kind of this, there's a big theme here about, you know, we're all people in the classroom. And, and I, I, I appreciate that, that reminder myself. Um, so Alan, thanks a lot for joining us today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. 